Hey Nine Lives listeners, I'm your host, Danielle Spitz, and today's episode is all about language. Although we're communicating with each other all day, every day, it can be easy to forget how powerful language really is. Sometimes words get lost in translation. Other times, the languages we speak bring us close to people we would never expect to connect with. Language is a crucial part of our identities. And as our first storyteller, Brenda Aceves, shares, sometimes navigating between rigid linguistic categories isn't all that easy. Two weeks ago, I was invited by a Spanish professor to attend an event called Círculo de Lectores. It was described to me as a small group gathering where students practiced Spanish by reading various articles out loud. I was hesitant to go at first because I didn't know exactly what to expect or if I was at the correct reading level to attend. Eventually, the encouragement of the professor and my own curiosity convinced me. I was provided with a small packet, and we began going around in circles reading a short paragraph. As my turn approached, I was feeling a familiar sense of anxiety arise as I mentally prepared to pronounce the words on the page, which should not be as foreign as they seemed. When it was finally my turn to read, I stumbled through the words as I felt embarrassment rise up on my throat. I know I wouldn't have this problem if I still lived in Mexico. I moved to the United States from Mexico when I was five years old. In the U.S., I don't really have many family members other than my immediate family and some cousins that live maybe three hours away from me. Because of this, my Spanish has always been centered around the household. I know the names of groceries that my mom uses for cooking, cleaning supplies for when she makes me do quesares, and lyrics to the Spanish songs she plays in the mornings. I breeze through AP Spanish and can carry conversations at home easily. However, no matter how comfortable I feel at home, everything is completely different in Mexico. Visiting Mexico is always a bittersweet experience. My mom wanted my brothers and I to grow up surrounded by our culture, so when I was younger, I visited about twice a year. After I turned 16, I started staying home from these trips, and now I only visit once a year, if at all. Being in Mexico, it's always fun to eat delicious food and learn about the history of my people, but seeing family is not so easy. While I have some fun cousins who admire my ability to speak English and Spanish, I also have aunts and uncles who mock my pronunciation and lack of vocabulary, labeling me a fresa. In Mexico, I am described as quiet and reserved, which is a label I would never receive in the United States. The reality is... It is difficult to communicate with my family. Whenever I try to use Spanish slang, I feel like an imposter. Whenever I try to join in on the conversation, I have to rehearse in my head what I am going to say, and most of the time, they move on to a new topic by the time I am ready. Everyone in my family pokes fun at each other, and my struggle with Spanish makes me an easy target. I know their teasing isn't meant to be hurtful, but that doesn't stop it from making me feel out of touch with my Mexican identity and the feeling of discomfort I get when I speak Spanish isn't contained in Mexico. When I first arrived at Northwestern, I was excited to start taking classes that were never offered in high school. I jumped into gender and sexuality studies and fell in love. I learned terms and concepts that changed the way I communicate and viewed my surrounding world. I was immersed, and when my mom called to check in, I was excited to share all of these new fascinating things. That's when I realized I couldn't talk to her. I didn't know the Spanish words for marginalized or agender off the top of my head. Google Translate was absolutely no help. My self-confidence took a dive. It didn't matter that I was learning all this material. I couldn't share it with any of my family. 
All this stress and unease were present as I was reading during the Círculo de Lectores. Once I was done, I felt disappointed. Yet when I looked up, everyone was smiling and the professor asked for any questions before moving on to the next person. And that's how the rest of the session went, with people making mistakes and being helped. Unfamiliar words were defined, words like minoría and acoso. I started feeling increasingly more comfortable, appreciating the efforts others made and the complete lack of judgment. As I started to relax, my reading improved. I realized I wasn't as out of touch with my Spanish as I had previously thought. The reading circle helped raise my confidence in a way I didn't even know I needed. It's not like I am suddenly completely sure of my bilingual abilities. I definitely still struggle and hesitate at times. Switching between Spanish and English doesn't come naturally to me, but that's okay. I now feel determined to keep pushing myself. The connections I make with my family in Spanish and the opportunity for gaining knowledge in my classes in English make my efforts seem worth it. And I'm excited to continue growing with practice. As our next storyteller points out, the power of human connection is often strong enough to overcome language barriers. And at the same time, speaking the same language doesn't always mean being able to understand each other. Here's a story from senior Amy Rogan remembering the time she spent studying abroad. The fall of my junior year, I went abroad on a program that was a month in Vietnam, a month in Morocco, and a month in Bolivia studying climate change. And within the countries, we were moving around, and so we weren't in any one place for more than two and a half weeks. And it was a lot of experiential learning. We had a lot of guest lectures, a lot of site visits. Uh, but the one thing that we did have in every country was a host family. And we stayed with them for about two weeks. And so Vietnam was the first country. And we had been in the country for about a week and a half. And then we went to Da Nang, which was a coastal city. And we got placed in our homestays. And so I was paired with one of my friends, Lily. Um, and everyone else kind of had one or two people that they were in a homestay with. And they were all in the same neighborhood, but different houses. And so me and Lily got our homestay pairing, and it was a middle-aged couple that had retired and moved to live next to the beach, um, except they spoke no English. And so we would communicate through Google Translate. And so uh, we, me and Lily would like write something in Google Translate and be like, hi, how are you? And they would write it back and kind of, we would try to understand what they were saying, but Google Translate is a very flawed mode of communication. And so... It was a lot of, like, guessing and smiling and kind of laughing at each other. Uh, and so we would have all of our breakfast and all of our dinners with the host family. And so we would sit at the table with them, and me and Lily would kind of chat, and they would chat, and sometimes we would just, like, smile and laugh at each other. And the other thing was that me and Lily were both vegetarians, and so we tried to communicate that with them, and we, we thought that they were understanding it. And there was one dinner where... We had something for, for dinner, and we were kind of curious as to what it was. And so we, like, put it in Google Translate. We were, like, asking what it was, and they responded. And we look at the answer that they gave back, and it said, this is sticky leather. And we were like, okay, let's. we're just going to assume that that is something we can eat and move on. Uh, and so this is kind of how it went for about the first, like, week and a half we were there. Um, but the th they were like such a warm and welcoming couple. Um, and so even though we didn't really know anything about them, um, we always like felt comfortable there. And so the way that the houses are set up there is that they're pretty tall but narrow. And so you would walk in on the first floor and go up a flight of stairs. And on that second floor was where we would have 
the kitchen and the like dining room and then you go up another flight of stairs and it was my room with Lily and then right across the hall about like five feet across from us was another room and we kind of just assumed that it was an empty guest room like we we never heard anything from it we just it looked empty and we didn't really want to go snooping around the house but we had postulated about it and just assumed that it was it was nothing and then on the top floor was where our host parents lived and so one night probably a week and a half into our homestay we were sitting at dinner eating and all of a sudden we hear this voice coming from upstairs and it's in English and me and Lily look at each other and we're like what was that and this guy about like 20 something year old American guy walks down the stairs and he's like oh hi and we're like hi he's like do you guys live here and we're like yeah do you and he was like yeah I've been here for like two months and we're like what we're like where are you living he's like oh I live just like the floor above this like uh, across the hall and he's like you guys never heard my music at night or anything did you and we were like no like did you ever hear us and he was like no and like we had been in in the mornings we had been in, in the middle of the day like it wasn't like there was a big chunk of time where we just like weren't in the house and he was like oh like this is super weird but like we'll definitely catch up about it like I want to hear about your experience like why you guys are here but I gotta run and meet some friends and then he just like leaves and we look at our host parents and we like try to ask them who he is and they're kind of just laughing at us and they're like oh he teaches English and that's about as much as we could get from them and so we're sitting there being like I can't believe that this man who also speaks English has been living across from us this whole time and we've never seen him we never even had a clue that he was living there and we like go and tell the other people in our program and they're like that's wild like it makes sense because there are other Americans that are living with some host families just kind of as renters and we like kept looking at the door across from us being like how is there another person living there and the rest of our time in the homestay probably another half of a week we never heard from again we never even saw him it was like he just appeared one night and then left and that was the thing that stood out to us the most about our host family. While even though going in, we were pretty uncomfortable and like unsure of how it would be being that we couldn't communicate with them at all and that they didn't speak any English. It was our host parents who were the ones that were the most welcoming and the most comforting and really made our stay super welcoming. But it was this strange American man that was living right across from us that we didn't know about the whole time. Um, that was the most surprising thing about it. Our last story comes from Tasha Sondak, a sophomore who found true value in the process of translating. I remember coming to the U.S. when I was younger and realizing that not everyone here can speak three languages. I mean, I'm sure that there are a number of people who are able to, but I remember when I was younger and went to California, people would be really shocked to find out that I can speak three languages fluently. I went to an international school in Jakarta where academics are taught in English and picking up a second language was just something we all had to do to graduate. Also, by law, Indonesian citizens are required to study Bahasa Indonesia, our national language. But growing up, my mom forced me to learn Chinese as a second language. And that's how I got intermediate at it, or at least that's what my resume says. In hindsight, I'm glad I got to learn Chinese. Learning Chinese in conjunction with Bahasa and English, though, was very, very hard, especially in school but I had a really good tutor that made everything worth it. He taught me the nuances of the Chinese language 
how each stroke within each character contributed meaning to the word, how Chinese words evolved from its ancient roots to become more modern, and how words dictate what ancient and modern Chinese culture were like. He got me interested in the nuances of language, how the contributions of spelling, pronunciation, and grammar dictate the emotions and meanings of different words. However, with the school's requirement to take up Bahasa and my tutor moving abroad, I became really disconnected with Chinese after 11th grade. It's true when they say that learning a language is like riding a bike because you don't ever forget how to ride, but it's really hard to pick it up at first after you stop riding for a long time. And with most of my friends back home speaking a mix of English and Bahasa Indonesia, Chinese was just something that just slowly slipped out of my tongue, but still had a strong presence in my upbringing and family culture because we are Chinese Indonesian. Speaking multiple languages means that I have to constantly reach into different pockets of my brain to pull out words that I want to use. And sometimes at Northwestern, I would want to say something in English, but then I'd be at a loss for words because the only words I could think of are in Bahasa Indonesia. And this complicates a lot of things because many words in Bahasa can't be translated into English. I'll use the word woi as an example. W-O-I, woi. Woi is part of Indonesian slang. You wouldn't use the word woi in a formal setting. Like, you would use woi to call on someone or to emphasize speech or make it sound angry or whiny. And the thing about woi is that if you're not a native Indonesian speaker, you wouldn't understand the emotions associated with the word. And I doubt that you'll ever be able to find a decent explanation that describes the depths of the emotions and meanings that this obscure word woi has. What I'm saying is, learning all three languages at once was overwhelming woi. There is no definitive way to translate some words, so I didn't really think that I could put multiple languages together into good use. But this was until I found my passion for translating literature. I picked up translating after a summer session at Columbia University, where I met Katrin Jensen, a Danish translator. What started off as a meeting for a novella I was working on ended up becoming a dialogue about languages and the underrated art of literary translation. That was the first time I recognized that being from Indonesia was something that I could really be proud of and also share with the world. Indonesia is home to 17,000 islands, 300 languages, and 650 cultures. Our motto is Bineka Tunggal Ika, unity and diversity. And as diverse as Indonesia is, not many people in the Western Hemisphere know about it. And this sucks because we're a really great country. I remember my friend going to summer camp at USC and telling me a story about a white dude who asked him if Indonesia had internet. And someone else asked if we rode on palm leaves. I found it super funny, even though I knew that this microaggression was referring to a bigger problem, that not a lot of people actually know about our country. And I thought, hey, we Indonesians are a people united by Bahasa Indonesia, our national language. If Bahasa can bring Jakarta closer to Bali, then an Indonesian tale translated into English can bring Indonesia closer to the world. And that's how I came up with this project of literary translation. I took on this project when I came back to Jakarta from New York City. My primary project was translating two short stories by Ali Akbar Navis, who was a famous writer in Indonesia. The translation process was honestly really time-consuming and, at times, pretty frustrating. It takes a really long time to perfect a piece because there is no such thing as perfect in the literary world. I definitely learned how to be humble in this process because I realized that as a translator, you are working against an asymptote. 
There will always, always be the dilemma of making your piece sound perfect and beautiful in the target language, or sticking to its original meaning, where you might discount the piece's original beauty. For example, there are multiple ways to say you in Bahasa. There is kamu, anda, and Allah. And each of the three words can only be used in specific contexts. Anda is used to refer to someone who's older than you or someone you respect. Kamu is directed at younger people. And Allah is too casual and impolite to use if you're not with your group of friends. It's these intricate differences between English and Bahasa that make it difficult to translate between these two languages. Reading back the piece that I translated a couple years ago still makes me cringe, even though I've gone through like 20 draft revisions and many different people consisting of both Indonesian and English speakers. I don't think there is ever a point of satisfaction until you actually have to call the shots yourself and just say stop. This challenge exists for translators because we want to both respect the original language and do justice to the original language by making the prose sound and flow beautifully in the target language, which in my case was English. And because of how different English and Bahasa was, it was really difficult to keep that balance. Translating literature has also made me think differently about world literature because there is so much work that goes into translating someone else's work. And I feel like a lot of people forget that. They forget that they're reading a dialogue between two artists who are trying to communicate with one another and ultimately with the world. I'll close by talking about why translating is so important because not only is it an underrated art form, it is also a means to communicate across borders. As humans, all we have to offer are our thoughts and emotions and no one will understand them unless we translate them into a language that they can understand. While you may not go about translating literature in a language that you speak after this podcast, I want to encourage you to reflect on the languages you do know. And take any opportunity you can to open up to different perspectives, which means not shying away from that Weinberg language requirement. Trust me when I say that language can help you see the world differently when you keep an open mind. Special thanks to our storytellers and, of course, to our listeners. For more episodes, check us out on Facebook, SoundCloud, or on the podcast app. Interested in joining the Nine Lives team? Follow us on Instagram at Nine Lives Podcast to stay up to date on when our application goes live over winter break. And remember, all cats have nine lives. Share one of yours.